Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Conversations with the Voice of Reason. I'm your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's conversant is returning guest Phil Illy. Phil Illy has written a book titled Auto-Heterosexual, Attracted to Being the Other Sex, wherein he expands upon the Ray Blanchard typology of a certain type of transsexual. And that type of transsexual is otherwise known as the autogynophile, or a man specifically who is attracted to the thought of being rather than being with a woman. Phil Illy, in his book, breaks down a ton of research, expands the typology to include females, and in this discussion, we talk about auto-heterosexuality and what that means to somebody who is uh, spun that way, let's say, and how that interferes with or facilitates their connection to other people, what that does to relationships, and how that informs the desire to transition. So without further ado, here is Phil Illy. People are still commenting on the first one. Yeah, hopefully nicer than the first day, but... <laughs> what are you going to do? Yeah. No, it's YouTube, uh, but yeah, what are you going to do? It's YouTube, and it's Pride Month, so people are all going to be like totally on fire for this discussion. Right, they're, they're hyped up, yeah. They are. We can't get enough of it. <laughs> I'll just do this. I'm just like, well, make it. <laughs> Thank you for doing your part to support Pride by having me on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, totally. What are we proud of today, Phil? We're proud of uh, the sexual orientation that most commonly leads to transgenderism. Okay. Um, it's an orientation, not a paraphilia or a fetish. So this is another thing that came up in the comments the last one. Like, I don't really know the difference between those things, other than people just use it with different, like, moral weight to it. Right. That And that's the thing, is um, sexologists, they, they differentiate based on paraphilias and sexual orientations just for like theoretical ideological reasons of like where do these things come from but in terms of how they play out in a person's life there's a lot of similarity between what we call paraphilias and sexual orientations in that it's an enduring sexual preference for a particular class of stimuli and okay. it's just yeah using the words paraphilia or fetish generally just has the moral connotations or it's just like it's a sexuality we don't like is sort yeah. of how it's used yeah. And uh, and a fetish would be something with a little extra bells and wickle or a kink. That's another term right. that implies a yeah. kind of a special thing or like some sort of targeted fixation. It's, yeah, those terms are generally, in common speech, they're used like just to talk about sexual interests that you shouldn't count as important as the other as the more conventional ones yeah. but um yeah it can be hard to differentiate like i have Basically, an orientation towards women but a fetish for women in high heels <laughs> right that's how it's uh, kind of used right like yeah you could right like you could that is one way of using it um or like how um in common speech it would be used 
like I wouldn't expect to see that type of language in like a sexology paper, but definitely in terms of common speech. And your book, Auto Heterosexual. I have I have physical attracted to being attracted Uh to being what? Attracted to being the other sex. The other sex, the opposite sex. Which is it straddles the line between I mean, just the tone of it is common. Uh, you're speaking, you're addressing like the lay reader, but you draw upon a lot of research. So you're dealing with research or sexologist frameworks and then building yeah, an argument. Translating it into normie speak. Into normie speak, yeah. The best I can. Yeah. And how has that process been for you going through the whole book? Right um, researching it. It was a big intellectual journey. Um oh. And, and, uh, I mean, also emotional journey in the sense of having to, you know, come to terms with having the orientation that I didn't know about. And then also once I'm open about it, having to deal with other people that have the orientation telling me that it doesn't exist. Um, yeah. Is that a part of the orientation? It's kind of like Schrodinger's orientation. (laughs) Like it only exists, Um, but you can't mention it. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. We have to run studies to figure that one out. Like dress-up club, <laughs> yeah. kind of fight club, but dress-up club. Hey, dress-up club sounds fun. Yeah. I could get but why, that. Why, why do you think there's such a defensiveness around it? Because of the political aspects of the identity? Um, There's a worry about the consequences of if this knowledge becomes public knowledge, um, that it'll negatively impact how people treat transsexuals and gender non-conforming people there's like that consequential worry there's also just emotionally the the people that have um are bought fully into the idea that they're you know the other sex or the gender associated with it you know like without qualifications they're just like i'm this thing um a lot of them can't handle hearing that that feeling comes from a type of heterosexuality that's connected to their birth sex because it, it is the theory conflicts with their self-image in a way that it's just some of them they just can't compute it almost it's hmm. it's it's too intense of a contradiction i guess this is this is kind of like difficult to say why because it's a case-by-case basis but there is and then also the impact of the internet culture um and the social justice, uh, you know, like the whole folding of it into a political movement where people need to change um, how they behave or treat different people or see different people and how that's tied to a very moral um, importance. Like this is a part of the American cathedral. America's been building, you know, we, we had this whole like declaration of independence, this whole enlightenment thing, but we scrapped that. And now we're doing the civil rights thing. We're pursuing equality, diversity, and inclusion, not freedom and liberty and, and uh, the pursuit of happiness, right? That's kind of morphed into something else. So the transsexual is at the forefront at this point in time, and we'll see how far it goes when it's done with the the transsexual. It's at the forefront of this political, religious, American religious kind of movement. So introducing the concept of sexuality into that, you would would think that it would track because homosexual uh, acceptance 
was spear-fronted, but the transsexuals, they're supposed to be a part of the sexuality thing, but you're, they're not a sexuality at the same time, right? So even, the, right, even that yeah. flag contradicts this. Wait, is this a sexuality? No, it's not. But it's a part of the sexuality flag. No, it's not. It's the identity. It's not a sexuality. I'm, I'm throwing right, a lot of things yeah. out of there because it's just kind of the phenomena itself is mixed up with so many different things. Yeah. It's, and what you're describing with the the gender religion that's happening right now is I definitely see it. And, um, what do you see it as? How does it impact you? Um, well, I mean, I'm generally not a fan of religion just in general. I've been an atheist, like since ever I thought about religion. Um, but, I guess what bothers me about it is that when it the type of thinking is religious rather than more scientifically based, there's this moral weight to it that then triggers people's emotions and then they can't use their reasoning abilities as well. And it leads to a bunch of, you know, emotions being hurt and people getting in fights that, that didn't need to happen in the first mm-hmm. place. You know, um, it was probably my fault, but uh, I replied to ContraPoints or Natalie Wynn, who's a stellar YouTube sensation. She's um, amazing at her video essays. Yeah. Video essays, philosophy, uh, now culture war stuff, more and more infrequently produced, but excellently produced. Um, and she had slagged on the New York Times, I think, by, by saying ratio against this, you know, transcritical article um that was probably pretty milk toast because the new york times has a certain mandate um and i'm like well the, you know if people understood this as a sexuality more maybe more understanding would happen and i linked your video and i was blocked immediately <laughs> she hadn't blocked you yet no oh okay i don't think she cared i don't think they cared right. about me but tying like putting up that maybe maybe i phrased it wrong Maybe it's just like block anybody who's who's poking at this, but just mentioning the sexuality thing. I, I've seen her do that before. Like, trigger. you know, say like I've seen her post the Instagram video and then some comments said like, this is happening because you're a meta attracted AGP. And then she deletes those comments, you know? Um, hmm. Yeah, it's, she did is a whole slanderous? 50 minute. Yeah. Um, or just stupid, they, you think? <laughs> Is what stupid? I mean, from from Natalie Wynn's point of view, from ContraPoint's point of view, is it just like right. to get the noise, filter the noise, or it, is there some sort of like I already answered this thing? Right, or it's probably a combination sort of, of like I already answered this, and it's just the only transphobes say this, so it's not worth okay. paying attention to you. You yeah, know that okay. sort of thing. Yeah, it's like a shibboleth that says you're not in her tribe. Okay, yeah, for sure. Okay, yeah, and then um. We're going to talk to your book, so we're just kind of wheedling our way there. But transphobia, have you come across any studies on that? Is that a sexual orientation or a fetish? Uh, I, have, I haven't really... I tend not to read um, a lot of the, the transphobia studies. Or so things. there are studies out there, or studies. Right, yeah, there's, there's a lot of money and institutional weight put into you know, say like studying transphobia or homophobia or minority stress theory. Yeah. Um, and 
Um, but I, I've, I generally perceive those as pretty ideologically motivated. So it's, I don't have too much interest in reading them. Yeah. Okay. How does it figure? Do you touch upon it in, in your book? Do you touch upon this aspect, the aspect of acceptance, social acceptance in your book? Um, yeah. Like later on in the, in the book, I touch on that. Um, a, just a little bit about, you know, culturally integrating this into society. Um, yeah. Just talking about it briefly, because my book is, it's not, I'm not trying to do the moral game of like what we ought to do so much. Like I throw some stuff in there because I do have opinions, but I'm mostly just trying to describe this is what this orientation is. It's how, this is how, here are many patterns we've seen that repeat among people that have it. And, you know, just so that people that have the orientation can sort of interpret their experience better. Yeah. Yeah. One uh, refrain in the comments of our last video was, uh, this is kind of like the radical feminist point of view, that how could you possibly know what it's like to be a woman? You're a man. Um, and it's to try to, I guess, poke a hole in the fantasy. Um, and then also to preserve female rights. So when we or spaces, um, however you need to interpret what radical feminism is aiming for politically. When, how, how have you come to view that criticism? If, if a man wants to be a woman, a man can't ever know what it's like to be a woman. So it's a complete fantasy. Um, it's, it's invalid, um, or it, it needs to happen, be, needs to be contained within a bedroom or your own head, but not brought into the cultural sphere? Um, I, like, while, while I know that technically, um, like, I, for instance, cannot know what it feels like to be a woman, um, I'm kind of suspicious that everyone has an innate sense of gender identity anyways. I, I feel like not everyone does. And, um... The thing, the experience I have of, of sometimes having that inner feeling of femininity, um, because I understand what it is, I don't, you know, think of myself as a woman, but it is a very nice feeling that happens. Um, okay. So I do like the feeling, but I, I sort of contextualize it as a byproduct of a sexual orientation. Okay. Um We've, we've covered this before. Um, so switching from speaking to or addressing the rad femme critique to describing it in such a way that men, specifically males who have this, understand it more from your point of view or like they gain more understanding from, from your point of view, from hearing you speak about it. Like, why is that so nice? What is that feeling? Is it like you have a hot flash um, and then but you pout in the corner? Or you get a divan and you kind of like languish. And, I mean, that's and nice. A fainting yeah. spell or something. Fainting on a chaise lounge is always a nice activity. Um, yeah, does that but... bring you trans joy? Euphoria? Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it can. Um, hmm. I I actually wrote a significant proportion of the book sitting on a chaise. Oh. Um, so not, not like... draped like on my side or anything, <laughs> but yeah, it's, they're, they're nice. Um Huh. Yeah, it's because that I'm I'm bringing that up, and I'm joking, but I'm not joking because that that feeling of femininity needs to be performed in some way, like like by the by a gesture 
Right. It can't, it, it's not just like some free floating feeling. It's a bodily feeling. So it has to have bodily results beyond just like the male um, excitement to Well, there's that, a way, but. there's a lot of ways of invoking it. You know, you can invoke it through behaviors or through, you know, how you dress or, you know, how you think. You know, you can, once you know how to tap into that feeling, which I call this type of feeling a mental shift. Um, which is language I appropriated from people that have non-human identities. Um, basically, yeah, there's this inner feeling of being a thing, and it it makes you feel good and and connected with yourself, and more like in the present moment and at home in yourself, and it's it's satisfying, and it's basically it's very similar to the warm fuzzies you get from conventional courtship, you know, from like cuddling with Bay on the couch or whatever. You know, so it's, yeah, it's, it's a, a likable feeling. And then that reinforces the behaviors that led to it, which, you know, sort of leads to a developmental process of increasing cross-gender commitment and cross-gender identification. Yeah. I'm a cuddling with myself. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, yourself is always there. You might as well. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and how does that go off the rails or, or how does one, how, what is your approach to managing that? And there's a lot of different layers for yourself. Like, like to what degree do you think it's healthy to indulge in that or to express that? To what degree is it um, unhealthy to suppress that um, or, uh, you know, to either give in or to suppress it? Like how have you developed strategies or copes? Um, or, or just discipline around it? Um, well, I mean, a lot of how I deal with it is constrained by my physical circumstances of my large skeleton and, mm -hmm. um, basically transsexualism or at least passing is just not on the table for me. So I'm somewhat constrained in terms of that. Um, you know, if, if I had a, a skeleton that was more suitable for for passing i'd probably be doing the transition thing um you know at least the the medical stuff i would do that first before the social um but yeah it's there's like no one size fits all for for how to deal with this it's like a very individual decision based on you know a lot of it is how you look um, and a lot of it is also how strong your the orientation is, because if it's like by far your principal, like motivating part of your sexuality, then it's going to have a huge sway over your emotions and a huge ability to create meaning and direction in your life. And so, yeah, if you have the orientation more strongly, that'll also make a person more likely to transition. Um, but I, I generally think it's not good to, I think a, a middle ground will work for most people where full on repression, I think is not a good path for it. Yeah. Full on repression, I think is it leads to a bunch of internal tension. Um, as you try to sequester this side of yourself, you have to, um, also block off anything adjacent to it. And then it leads to this sort of overly strong, like shutting down of yourself and it can it can make you um just feel blunted and not really as alive and um on the other hand like if you just do full on transsexualism there's also obviously medical risks with that you know a shortened lifespan and not being able to reproduce so 
yeah, I, I'm hoping to get this information out there so that like, um, to also make transvestites more visible too, so that it's because right now transsexuals are, are running the show in terms of discourse, and you know they're putting, they're living it full time and putting their bodies on the line in a really real way. So it, it makes sense why they have such a privileged position in transgender discourse, but they're a minority of the people with this orientation. Most people with it do not transition. And, um, and a lot of them are just like privately confused and don't even talk to anyone about their gender feelings. So there, there's actually a lot more people that have this orientation that, than people are really aware of. Mm-hmm. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. What about dysphoria, like gender dysphoria? How does that fold into it? Um from your point of view, specifically speaking of auto-heterosexuality or autogynophilia, the love um, of oneself as a woman or as the opposite sex. The, the gender dysphoria is a, a byproduct of wanting something and not being able to get it. It's a, a desire for something that can't be met. It, it's like that ancient Buddhist rule about desire and attachment and suffering, that, that whole trip. Um, hmm. Yeah, basically, if you have auto-heterosexuality... Um, you can experience gender dysphoria when you're per perceiving that you have a shortcoming in your cross-gender embodiment, that you want to be more cross-gender embodied than you are able to. And and then this disparity between what you have and what you want can cause suffering. Yeah. And so you're kind of hinting that a mindfulness approach is beneficial for someone to... Uh, no, I just think that that lesson about desire, attachment, and suffering that comes from okay. the sort of like westernized version of Buddhism, I think there's truth to that. That's part of like the universal human experience. Yeah. Speaking, yeah, of I don't know what the solution is. Okay. Speaking of attachment, um, that brings up another aspect of this. If if sexuality, um, Insofar as sexuality has an intention, it's for, I guess there's, there's kind of like a, probably a hierarchy and saying that there's a hierarchy is going to piss people off because a lot of people want to not have any hierarchy in here. But if sexuality has a purpose and that's a big if the first would be procreation. Um, and then on the human level, it would be to facilitate pair bonding. Um, it does have a, uh, aspect of it, naturally speaking of, of being desire, uh, desiring someone else and then, and then having them desire you and forming a, a, a loop, a circuit, a feedback loop of intimacy. So if the sexual orientation is already bent into oneself, 
one might be through medical means or psychological means cutting themselves off from allowing that sexuality to bind them to another person, to explore intimacy, to have attachment with another person, right? That's kind of, I don't want to call it a danger, but that's kind of something that you might be sacrificing if you're not careful about this um, and you just allow it to just kind of overtake you and, and not to frame it within the uh, relationship. You know, for people whose um, who's allosexuality and autosexuality of, are of similar magnitude, I think there is some agency in sort of, you know, deciding how much to incorporate it into your life and whether you still want to have um, conventional pair bonds with other people. But you know, there's some people for whom this orientation is just by far their overriding sexual interest, and they're just congenitally incapable of conventional pair bonding hmm. with other people, at least until they address their um, autosexuality through like transitioning or something. Um, okay. So it's like, I, I see what you're talking about that there's, you know, it'd be great if people could, um, you know, focus on conventional allosexual pair bonding. Um, and allosexual but, means oh, uh, just externally directed sexuality. Okay, it, it's uh, the opposite of autosexuality. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, it's so. Yeah, it, it can make it harder to to date people conventionally and to form the long term pair bonds that lead to procreation and such, um, which is part of why I think it's important to get this information out there because reading the stories about, you know, like the trans widow stories, basically where women get married to men and then those men, men transition. And then, you know, if they had kids, then it's like this, it's kind of a, a tragedy in a way. And so it'd be great if people could just upfront, be upfront with each other about their sexuality early on in a relationship, you know, first, second date, like really early. Um, mm -hmm. So that if, if it's a deal breaker for uh, one of the people that they save their time, especially because females have a shorter re fertility window. So it's yeah. important not to waste their time. Yeah. Huh. Um, that brings up the question about uh, involving a partner in this. Have you read stories or seen research about um pair strategies if one person has auto uh sexuality like how that can be incorporated into a loving full relationship kind of deal i mean it did it definitely does happen um there there are plenty of auto heterosexuals that are married or in long-term relationships with people that are conventionally heterosexual and they find a way to either you know deal with it and make it work or some even like it um because there can be some benefits to the women depending on the circumstances you know like agps seem to be a little more feminist than you know conventional heterosexual males and and more likely to think about the woman's perspective so it, it can it can lead to it can help with their empathy and treating their partner better it but it's again it's a very like individual yeah. Case by case basis. Yeah. Um, we can, I, I did do an interview with a trans widow, um, meaning a woman who married a man who then transitioned after they had kids and it didn't seem like a very good relationship. Um, 
and uh, caused a lot of trauma and uh, hardship for the whole family. Um, I just wonder to what to what extent um, women understanding male sexuality in the way that you're trying to produce like could have a benefit. So what just addressing a woman who encounters a man maybe after their first date, like maybe they, they've been together for a year, let's say, and then she kind of discovers that there's this other aspect to him. Like, like how would you explain it to her if like she was going to a counseling and, and, and you're, you're not the kind of affirmative he's trans. You need to just accept his identity. Like what, what's the alternative take that you would bring to the table from a counselor oh, point of view? After, like this is a situation of where people have been dating for a year and she just yeah, found say, out. Yeah. Let's just say oh, something. they're already committed. So they already kind of, it's worth them oh, okay. doing some counseling about this. Cause they do. There's already the issue of like lying by omission and the feeling of betrayal she might have. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Because that's a pretty big thing to not tell your partner. Um, but, um, hmm. yeah, I would tell such a person that this is a part of your partner's sexuality that is unlikely to change, you know, you, as hard as you might wish it away, it won't go away. And so if it's a deal breaker for you, then, mm, then it just simply is, you yeah. know, um, but th there's some women that are okay with it, you know, particularly if they're bisexual, um, and bisexuality is more common among women. So okay. hmm. yeah, it seems like a lot of AGPs, um, get with women that are at least a little bisexual. Um, and that seems to work out because there's a little bit more wiggle room, right? Yeah. The, the bisexual woman will, will be a little more, um, open to both aspects of their partner's gender. Um, and yeah. And you know, it doesn't, if someone's attracted to both sexes, then, you know, being a gender non-conforming isn't necessarily a deal breaker. Yeah. So the radical feminist critique or somebody bringing the radical feminist critique to this, if they say, you know, if they discover that their male partner, a woman discovers their male partner has this sexual orientation, um, that is not likely to go away. Um, it's, it's baked in to some degree. Um, thinking of him as appropriating womanhood won't be necessarily helpful, though it's expedient <laughs> on a political point of view. So is, is the man appropriating womanhood, like from, from a sexual point of view, what is he doing? Um, he's embodying traits he admires in the other sex and that he finds attractive. He's, he's, he's basically, he's trying mm -hmm. to become what he loves. It's, it's, it's yeah it's driven by this this love drive right and hmm. so yeah when i hear radical feminists have that critique of appropriating womanhood is they're it's really emotionally off base as for how it feels from the inside and like it's you know like i don't dress like i don't dress in women's clothes because i'm trying to take anything away from them it's because I like them. 
you know, and I love them. Mm-hmm. But if a man loves, is trying to become what he loves, doesn't that take away space for loving the woman? Like It can, yeah. Yeah. It can, yeah, it, it, de- it depends how, st- I generally think the, um, the ratio between the person's autosexuality and their allosexuality seems to be a very big factor where um yeah if if their autosexuality is is stronger it can be harder for them to maintain um a conventional partnership with a person because it's not as strong of a drive as as the autosexual one and so it it yeah um it can it can definitely interfere with the ability to pair bond um but again this isn't something that is due to like societal failings or anything it's just how the orientation seems to work okay so this isn't necessarily patriarchy's fault <laughs> uh no i i don't think it's patriarchy's fault because okay. i mean this happens to females too like there's autoandrophilic females and you know some of the, some of them decide that they can't date just because like they're attracted to men but it just doesn't sexually work with them because it's hard for them to find a man that will play like a compatible sexual role um so yeah it can interfere for both female and male auto heterosexuals is there can you just is there like a difference in the description and the behavior like the manifestation of auto heterosexuality in females um so i should say just for clarity right now the the top dogs of sexology like um like bailey and blanchard they're they're still not on board with the this sort of generalized two type typology that i'm arguing for yeah um but i've seen enough evidence that their female autoandrophilia definitely exists um i mean just yesterday i was talking to someone about my book in real life and i hmm. asked her some questions to see if she had autoandrophilia and she enthusiastically affirmed like <laughs> those what? questions. Like what? what oh, kind just of questions like, you know, asking if, um, if it would be uh, like if intersexual fantasies, if she's ever like fantasized about having a dick or, um, about, you know, using a strap on or, things like that basically any fantasies about playing a a male role um and and if those fantasies are you know sort of like a regular part of her sexuality like that that it's more than like a once in a while thing it's sort of like a you know pretty constant thing or at least like a recurring theme um yeah is it I mean, it does seem that females are more sexually fluid in general. So I think that it might be easier for, on average, for autoandrophilic females to, you know, figure out how to make their sexuality work um, with other people. But um, yeah, I guess you asked about how like autoandrophilia and autogynophilia are different. And as far as I can tell, um, it seems that cross-dressing is less important to autoandrophiles you know um just like on average it seems to be 
less it's, a it's lower proportion. S- sexual to put on overalls and a denim <laughs> jacket or something like it that. is for some of them okay. but but <laughs> but yeah no it's it's um the clothing seems to have less power to symbolically invoke that cross-gender embodiment and okay. um where but autoandrophiles seem much more interested in the interpersonal aspect of socially being a man of having other people treat them as men and i see this in terms of um just when i was going through coming through the sexology literature looking for any scraps of autoandrophilia i could find because it's really understudied um after doing that and writing the chapters of the book um i i have two autoandrophilia chapters and the first one ha- includes you know the anatomic autoandrophilia of having a man's body you know dressing like a man like all the, all the subtypes you know, except for the interpersonal one. And I have a whole chapter devoted to interpersonal autoandrophilia because it just seems to be that common. Okay. Um, that that maybe female sexuality is more less object oriented and more relational oriented. And so autoandrophilia it's more it can pretty commonly show up as like a desire to be a gay man. You know, that's pretty common, which is why Blanchard has proposed a a type of female gender dysphoria that he calls auto homoerotic gender dysphoria. Mm-hmm. And that's about like females that want to transition and be gay men and have participate in gay male sex. And yeah, that seems to be the major difference is that females are more, the female autoandrophiles are more interpersonally inclined. It's about how they relate. And the, the males are more about, you know, the physical form of like having the body of a woman and, you know, dressing cute. You know, because the the clothing is very tied into the body thing, because it's like right on the body, and it influences how you perceive it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You you posted some interesting screenshots. I believe it was from Reddit. Uh, I think it was just a couple of days ago about like these women who are getting off on opening jars, opening doors, uh, doing right, yeah, a the strange gender nod, euphoria, like 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 this yeah, thing, yeah. like weird gender mm-hmm. euphoria. It's like, hey, 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 dude. You know, yeah, um, and and that's one thing, but also in the ROGD set, um, the rapid onset gender dysphoria set, the the cool girl set, where a lot of girls are uh, just creating these social uh, cliques around treating each other like dudes or like we're all guys, you know, and, and kind of doing like that. It doesn't seem like that's necessarily a sexual orientation so much as a I guess more of a trans trender kind of thing. It's like, this is kind of the cool way to be together, to be different, to differentiate ourselves from society, to differentiate ourselves from our parents. Um, you know, so there's this whole aspect of it that Joe Burgo brought up um, after watching our first interview about the psychodynamic aspects of this, about how um, shame operates in uh, autogynophilia specifically. Um, and I have done interviews with autogynophiles and, and there's a lot of like aspects of wrestling with uh, negative perception of male and trying to run away from, from manhood um, and mm-hmm. into feminine femalehood. Um, and so sexuality is a component in that, but there's also uh, upbringing. There's also questions of, you know, just, Shame, not knowing yourself, not knowing how to be in a relationship and abdication of responsibility and 
being a man or being a woman and all of the responsibilities that come with the reproductive capacity of the female and then this the expectations of the male to provide to be strong courageous warrior-like um those kinds of things so I know your book is about sexuality and and the sex research, but what do you see the influence and how how sexuality is informed um, by these other psychological aspects and, and personal histories? Um, yeah, although my book is technically about sexuality, I do focus mostly. I mean, it's hard to say mostly. It's hard to know, but I focus a lot on the the romantic and sentimental component of the orientation about how. It, it has these strong sentimental aspects that aren't obviously, it's not apparent when you're experiencing them that they're a byproduct of your sexual orientation. But as far as I can tell, they seem to be. Hmm. Um, where, like you were talking about those females that want to escape womanhood and, you know, be, be men together. Um, that, that can happen because the the orientation changes how you perceive the value of manhood and womanhood it makes the other one seem better and it makes the one you're born into seem worse and thus it makes it seem more worthwhile to be like the other one in whatever way you can hmm. so uh that's an interesting way of putting it or contextualizing it so if you have these feelings of femininity that you express that come over you when those go when those are gone when you go to back to baseline and you're just left being a male or just uh you're a male body with without that feeling um you, you crave that feeling again and so you start to despise the fact that you can't always have it or is there something negative about the male body itself um beyond just being a barrier to achieving what you want um um, That's I mean, there's that aspect of it being a barrier. It's also, it, okay, you're not celebrating pride anymore. Oh, no, pride no, goes no. Away. <laughs> pride month is over. Oh, it's a whole month. <laughs> We're not even a weekend. Whew. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, I forgot what I was saying. Can you remind me? Yeah. Well, you, you said like, like a kind of either shame or, or just, uh, the from one point of view you're saying that to be a fem as a male to be female is better and to be male is worse and so you have these floods right. of feeling like you're female or femininity let's say and then you want to enact that out and then that goes away either through one reason or another and then you're left with just this mm -hmm. body i guess you return to baseline you're less than you were during that heightened yeah. state okay and then and yeah. then you start to blame the body or is the body itself beyond just being a barrier to becoming what you want and achieving what you want, because the body itself, it, if it is a sexual orientation, your body is telling you to do this, right? Like there's a physical right. drive yeah. there. So like to, to despise the source of that, um, because it's not letting you achieve it, but it's also the source of that orientation too. Right. There's, there's with, when it comes to auto heterosexual gender issues, you know, sort of just that, that cross gender yearning, the, the desire to, to fly, to be the other sex um it seems to have a t there's two components to it there's the repulsion from your natal sex and there's also an attraction to being the other one and so both of these forces act together to shift you across the gender divide 
Hmm. And, you know, the orientation, like I said, it can change your appraisal of what's valuable and what's important. And so it can make your, the gender you're born into feel worthless, you know, and that that's like, and it can make your body feel foreign and awful. And so like, that's part of the repulsion. And then there's also that thing you, you want to become this thing that you love. And when you do embody it, it brings you joy and meaning. And so there's also this joy that you're walking to. And so there's, yeah, this twin force of repulsion plus attraction that, that sort of shifts people across the gender divide over time. Hmm. But, but calling it an orientation blocks you from, I guess, conceptually blocks you from thinking, well, maybe it's the cause because of my relationship with my mother. Maybe I'm trying to, right. Or like, or like right. uh, borderline personality disorder or autistic, um, aspects of it. Like thinking of it as an orientation blocks off or potentially could block off like the, a multivariate analysis of, and then also blocks you off from tools of, of like overcoming it because you're not supposed to overcome a orientation. It just, it is what you are. You are what you are. Well, you're supposed to at least figure out how to deal with it. Right. So the approach, okay. instead of like trying to, instead of trying to fix it through thinking about your relationship with your parents or whatever, to instead thinking of it as, I have this desire that must be met to some extent for me to feel happy and fulfilled in my life. How can I do that? And I think it, it simplifies it to talk about it in terms of an orientation. Yeah, but and, it blocks you off from why. It blocks you off from the complexities of why am I this way? I mean, yeah, those other things are definitely factors, right? Um, I I still think it's unlikely that, I mean, particularly in males, that a, a male would transition just because of weird family dynamics you know i i think there's the sexual orientation is sort of like necessary but not sufficient in terms of like explaining transition okay um like on its own it doesn't always lead to transition but i think someone without it without one of the two orientations at least a gender transition is un unlikely to transition yeah um yeah the, it, it, i can see from a point of view of a, of a young man who's very sensitive and um, recognizes that transition is just not possible or it's, it's, it's not in line with greater values that he has of, I don't know, personal, personal honesty, maybe he believes in God and that God created his body. And, and he also believes in marriage and he wants to get married to think of it as an orientation only disallows him from saying, you know, I do want to be in a relationship uh, and I know that this will stop me from connecting deeply uh, in union with another person. Um, so I, I guess this we're treading into uh, conversion therapy land a little bit, which I have not researched thoroughly. So I don't know exactly what is going on in those sessions and stuff. But I'm wondering if you've seen any evidence of people like uh, over time growing out of their auto sexuality and into an allo sexuality yeah a, a lot have tried um okay. there's the success rate it's it's hard to know because the ones that you know part of succeeding at that if it is possible is avoiding hanging around the gender weirdos and so you know say like an online transforms or a like particular ask agp the subreddit um hmm. There's, there's plenty of guys that'll come in there at, over the years and say, how do I get rid of this? It's, 
it's bringing me a lot of shame and it's make I want like I want to be a husband and a father and I want to love a woman and how do I get rid of this and um there doesn't seem like we've found a way to do it yet um some people have reported success at um sort of conditioning themselves to um more consistently express their allosexuality you know um like say if while um like i don't know if it works but i've heard some people say that it helped them to you know while masturbating to make sure that you know when they orgasm that it's to allosexual stimuli and fantasies and not towards the agp stuff with under the reasoning that you know whatever you orgasm to will like sort of become more of a solidified behavior yeah 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 um i i don't know if it works um i could see that maybe that technique could help for some edge cases where it is possible for them to minimize that but there's yeah it's again there's like some people for whom the autosexuality is so strong that there's no tricks or techniques that they can do to change that fact that it is their major sexual interest yeah and what what's the um what where do where does one go from there uh i guess mourning that and then embracing that and then giving oneself over to it or i mean there's a ton of different path but what do you see as the best results from from you know ask agp and and the other research that you've done um a man makes peace i with mean that or accepts that i typically advise people to just accept however they are and to figure out how to integrate it into their life in a way that can let them still have a life that feels worth living. <laughs> um, because there can be a lot of black and white thinking where someone thinks I just have to repress this fully and then it'll go away. But it sort of leads to a pressure buildup and sort of the dam can burst at some point. And <laughs> that's also not ideal that I think I mean, it's unstable to have that sort of pressure inside of you and then for it to, you know, finally come out in your midlife. Um, it, it can just be really unstabilizing. And so I, I generally advise people to um, accept themselves how they are, realize there's nothing wrong with having this orientation. It is not innately harmful to others. You know, it, it all depends on how you act on it. And um, if you just, if you act in a way that you feel is not harming others and is also like helping you live a more fulfilled life that, that that's okay hmm. so you, you called this me search so there's an aspect of producing this book writing this book researching this book and now speaking about this book promoting this book that is about coming to terms with something inside of you I'm wondering how that process is is has gone on over time like all the reading and the writing like how you've come to know yourself better accept yourself or understand yourself um yeah i know i used that term me search last time but i want to be clear that the book has very little about me in it i think i'm completely irrelevant and um the science Accord is what matters within yeah within the context of the book yeah but yeah still yeah. Yeah, but it's still. I'm um, like, it's how, your baby. like, how do I, like, how have I? Um, you call it a journey. Yeah, yeah. This this is my gender journey. 
Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it was a it was a weird process weird. Um, to to first realize that you have this orientation that you had never heard of, you know, and you have to then mourn the loss of this this old self image of like I'm a conventional heterosexual male. I had to like get over that. Hmm. Um, didn't take too long, just a couple months or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, once I accept it, then I had to deal with when I'm open about it, people telling me that I'm being transphobic <laughs> for being open about my sexual orientation and, hmm. or like telling me that that doesn't exist uh, or telling me like you, just cause you experienced that doesn't mean you can say that other people do, okay. you know, and so I've had to deal with that sort of opposition. Um, so they're erasing your existence. Literally. According yeah. to their their framework. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're erasing my existence. <laughs> it, I mean, I don't actually think you can erase with words. But yeah, they're trying to like... There's a weird exception where you can... There's like hundreds of acceptable gender identities people can have now. But like all of a sudden, if you identify as autogynephilic or autoangiophilic, you're like, you're bad and you can't have that identity. And it's, it's a little suspicious. Okay. And um, how do you take that? How do you, how have you processed that? Or um, it was, it was, yeah, it was really hard at first. Uh, because, you know, when people do th- have the opposition, you know, it's, it's people that, um, at least like in my social networks, it's people that I'd previously thought of as like friends or at least friendly acquaintances. And to have them sort of be demonizing you for your sexual orientation on behalf of the the Pride Coalition, just like the the hypocrisy of it. And then also just dealing with the fact that people are trying to shame you for your sexual orientation. That wasn't easy. Um, But Hmm. I just kept coming back to the fact that there is an objective reality and science is the least bad way of finding knowledge in that reality. And there's a preponderance of scientific research that indicates that this orientation exists. And as far as I can tell, I have it. And the, basically it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty undeniable um, as far as I see it. And yeah, it, it's hard to, at first to deal with people shaming me for it. I mean, now I'm a few years into this and I talk and think about this all the time. So I'm, I'm much more solid in my identity as, you know, auto heterosexual, autogynephilic, or like transvestite, like whichever sort of identity label. Um, and so, yeah, when people disagree with me now, I'm much more capable of being calm and, hmm. um, yeah, it doesn't bug me as much. And what does it mean to be an AGP male? Like autogynephilic males are autogynephilic males. So like, what does that mean? To what extent is it your identity? You uh, visit forums, you talk about this, you've written a book about it. Yeah. Um, So it's definitely part of my identity at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So where, where now, like, where does it end? Where does it go? Or is it is what it is? And then you just move on as it. Right, like the the way I think of it is this is something I was born with and it is unlikely to change. Um Do you my want to degree change of it? um like 
like sort of if if like if you were to phrase it in the question of like if there was like a pill you could take that would magically make you conventionally heterosexual would you do it um i i probably would just because i part of it is yeah it's it being heterosexual most people are heterosexual and it's easier to fit in a society it's easier to to have you know those strong pair bonds um it, it also would avoid gender dysphoria um you know if the orientation went away then the dysphoria would too um so yeah if it were possible i would get rid of it i don't think it's possible though um and i'm overall fine with it you know like it, it definitely has drawbacks in terms of pair bonding capacity but when since learning about sexuality i've learned about a lot of different types of sexuality and this one is not really a big deal in terms <laughs> of it do we want yeah, to bring up the big deal ones no well, i guess yeah let's not no, okay yeah let's, let's even think, yeah okay all right okay cool <laughs> but the, the listener will know have an idea of what sort of orientations yeah we're thinking of pale. yeah yeah but yeah this orientation like it's it's not it can present its own unique set of hardships, but it's not definitely not the end of the world if you have it. You just have to figure out um, which ways you can live with it that you know make your life worth living. And a lot of most people clearly pull it off. Historically, we did not have transsexualism. You know, the medical technology was not there. Um, and while while some like transvestites in the past did commit suicide from gender dysphoria, um, it's I don't think it's as common a driver mm. of transition as people sometimes say it is. Like it's it's really doesn't have to be a catastrophe. Hmm. hmm. Does it belong on the pride flag? I mean, much more than the the intersectional triangle, the ever growing triangle that keeps moving in from the left. Yeah, the chevron. Yeah, right. The chevron. Yeah, good. Nice vocab. Yeah, that's the word. <laughs> Here it comes. Yeah, it's eventually the rainbow's going to be gone. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I'm probably, I don't like the that new intersectional flag because it because it brings in Race. critical theory into something that used to be liberal. Like the, the old pride okay. flag was a product of liberalism. It's saying like, there's a lot of different people and we can celebrate their differences and treat them as equals. But the, the progress flag, this new one, it brings in critical theory, which slots people into oppressor and oppressed groups and raises certain identities over others. And it has, it's this whole, it's, these are two fundamentally different flags in terms of the ideologies that spawned them and in you know what they're going for mm -hmm. do, do you beyond uh you know euphoria gender euphoria do you see that that autogynophiles or auto heterosexuals as you coined the term that they have a take on uh they have wisdom that they gain through this process something that they can share additively to society just as from that perspective that sexual perspective or not even sexual but just like that gender's perspective have you have you seen yeah. things about women and men and the relationship between men and women that you might 
want to share that you think would be uh, be helpful for men and women to understand about each other? I think this this orientation can help men and women understand each other better. You know, like an an autoantrophilic female is going to be wondering more about the world of men and what it's like to be a man than a woman that's conventionally straight. And an autogynephilic male is going to be wondering more about what it's like to be a woman and what and what that entails. And so it does seem that there's it can help facilitate empathy and understanding between the sexes, which I think is valuable because there are psychological differences between the sexes and men and women often don't understand each other. They might think they do, but there there are definitely some differences in cognition that each sex just can't even imagine that the other one has. And imagining that through uh, compulsion, are you saying that it could lead to better understanding of the other? I, I think it helps the, <laughs> yeah, I think it helps the different sexes understand each other better that there's, that there's some of us who, because of this predisposition, just ponder more what it's like to be the other sex and have more empathy for them. I, I think it's it's helped a lot with um, with feminism, you know, like males who have this orientation are more feminist on average. Um, and so that helps, you know, because like females are already a slight majority. And then if you just get a few percent more males because of autogynophilia, that that small difference really changes the size of the, you know, the pro-feminism and anti-feminism groups. Yeah. So assuming it, it, that feminism yeah. in and of itself is a good well i i think it's important to have feminism <laughs> to some extent because um evolutionarily where patriarchy is built into us in the sense that males are bigger and stronger and they tend to try to dominate and harness female reproductive capacity for themselves like this is seen among a bunch of apes it's it's mm. not just humans, yeah. uh, and so there. If we're going to live in this complex technological society, I think it's important that we do have some feminism to sort of curtail the excesses of patriarchy and make a society that treats people better than would be possible otherwise. Um, there's, the, you know, like I I definitely have. There's some schools of feminism I like more than others. Like I think radical feminism is is flawed because it comes from Marxism, for instance. Um, but hmm. yeah, I think it's I think it's been good that that women have been able to over the past you know half century or so able to help them understand their condition and then work together to improve the way they're treated. And of course, that's probably going to go overboard, and then there will need to be a correction. But that's sort of the liberal process. Hmm. Where do you see it going? Discourse around um, transsexualism and autogynephilia or autoheterosexuality. Where do you see it going? Is there any changes over the past year? You see that there's a foothold of growing people who are more direct about what their condition is or their orientation um the, there's ink there's a small but growing group of people that have that are auto heterosexual and are open about it you know whether they're autogynophilic or autoandrophilic um it's still a pretty small group um 
but its trajectory is in the direction of getting it's getting bigger and um i i do think this the sort of idea i'm putting out there is it's been suppressed to a pretty large degree so far but there's going to be a tipping point where once enough of us say like yes i have this and it's a thing and it's okay that it's going to rapidly there will become a tipping point where people just know that there's two different types of trans and that's okay. Hmm. Which do I want to go here? Um, what, what do you think about like education? Oh, about you mean like the curriculum in yeah. high school? Um, I would, I would like, I would like to see this taught in sex ed. Um, so that, you know, at an age appropriate level, like obviously you wouldn't talk about eroticism with like kids who are single digit age, but, um, you know, if, if, if they're teaching homosexuality and bisexuality in sex ed, then they can also teach about auto heterosexuality and it's, you can get the gist across pretty simply. It's, it's not that complicated, you know, like some people are attracted to other sex. Some people want to be the other gender just because they love them. You know, it's, it's pretty, you can well, it's right there, it. I guess, if they're going to yeah. talk about transsexualism, they can describe it that way. Right. Yeah. It's, there's like, it can be described pretty succinctly in ways that aren't too explicit and that little kids could kind of get, you know, they'd be like, oh, you just love being that way. Okay. You know, so it, I, I think I would like to get that in sex ed because um, right now they're teaching the gender ideology stuff, the gender woo. Yeah. And um, I think it, it confuses a lot of kids and it makes them do a lot of questioning of themselves that they really don't have to do. And it's also, it's not really based in reality. It's based in like what a political movement wants. Yeah. So um, but it exists because people need an explanation for why transgenderism happens. You know, they they need to understand what is this thing? Why is it happening? Like, how should I think of it? Mm. And right now, gender ideology fulfills that function. And that function needs to be fulfilled. And so I think the only way to eliminate gender ideology is to find, is to introduce a replacement um, collection of ideas that can fulfill that similar function of explaining transgenderism. And that's sort of what I'm hoping to introduce here, this alternative memeplex that can make sense of it. Because um, I'd like to supplant gender ideology with um, sort of this gender reality of like what actually causes this stuff. What about technology then? Um, what's your stance on child transition? Is it worth a, a boy to transition to fulfill a sexual orientation Ugh, is that it's adequate it's a thorny question like i do have yeah. a very last minute in my book i did quickly put together a child a juvenile transsexualism chapter to sort of go at this question i was avoiding it because of the controversy yeah <laughs> funny enough um but yeah i i'm still not quite sure what the right answer is with youth gender transition um, on one hand, it's pretty clear that, you know, the, these kids don't really have the thinking capacity that adults have. Mm. 
But on the other hand, um, since it, these feelings are caused by an orientation, and you know that's there's, we still don't have the technology to change sexual orientation. Um, so the and, and puberty happens at an age that is before they can technically consent. It, we're sort of in this pickle where nature it happens when it happens in terms of puberty and we have these societal rules about you know when can people consent and so this is very weird situation where it, it yeah it makes it hard to know what to do um well I, it, I think it if you, you know, rob somebody of their sexual capacity for the sake of their sexual orientation it just sounds like it doesn't add up to to me right yeah it i do think that youth gender transition is being pursued um it's reckless right now what's happening in terms of the clinicians not understanding that there's two fundamentally different conditions they're seeing and and they're not <laughs> so that they have no capacity for knowing like will this kid persist or not because they're not even separating them into question. whether okay which of the two types they have which is what are the two types just for Homo homosexual and auto heterosexual yeah and homosexual transitions, not even a sexual orientation. It's just it, I would fit better into the world as a woman. Maybe there is some. Well, it's a byproduct of, of their development as like huh. developing as a homosexual makes a person more likely to have like a sort of a cross gender sh shift in terms of psychological traits. Um, you know that they're a little more like the other sex psychologically, and so yeah, even like with homosexual transsexualism. It's even though historically those were the ones that that persisted more. Um, it's hard to say. Like if you look at the rates of adult transition, it's the auto heterosexuals are transitioning more. It and so it seems that hmm. the adults at least are making the decision like that. It's more worthy to transition as an auto heterosexual. Um, Whereas effeminate yeah, gay the, men just end up finding partners that, uh, yeah, there's been a reduction that. in that in, in effeminate gay men transitioning or you think in, maybe do, not like an absolute reduction, to, but a relative proportional reduction compared to the other ones in part due to the societal acceptance of homosexual males. I, in, yeah, I think okay. so. I think yeah. that helps a lot. Um, yeah. and I think with the homosexual one, there's a lot we can do as a society to let people be gender nonconforming, let them, hmm. you know, basically don't make fun of, don't be rude to someone just because they're not what your idea of a man or a woman is or should be. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as a society, we have made great strides in that respect. And I think that's part of why homosexual transgenderism, um, it's, it seems to be less of a powerful motivator for transition than the autosexuality is because hmm. the autosexuality builds over time it's like it's a very different trajectory where like the homosexual ones it's apparent from a young age and for them to succeed with their transition they have to you know generally pass quite well and do it very young you know whereas the the autosexuals they their desire to transition can be pretty mild at first but then grow over time mm-hmm and so they, a lot of them tend to transition later um, because the desire grew over time. Yeah. And 
and it seems like overall it is a over a lifelong trajectory the autosexual one is a stronger driver of transition um so yeah i would like to see clinicians start <laughs> just knowing that there's two fundamentally different conditions here and also take into account that males and females are different and so there's there's like four different groups basically if we're if we're not counting the the rogd i'm still not like i do think there are probably some rogd females but i think it's it's being blown out of proportion because I think some of them are just experiencing homosexual or autoheterosexual gender dysphoria. And it's just people aren't picking up on it because mm -hmm. they're not even asking them whether they have fantasies about being the other sex. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So like, how are you going to find out if you don't even ask them? Mm -hmm. There was a tweet by Ben Shapiro from the Daily Wire. Uh, I've heard of him. Yeah. Yeah. He's short and he talks fast. Um, some say he's yeah. Jewish. He said that we should, uh, this is just the quote tweet. We should, we should teach boys to be masculine and girls to be feminine and be tolerant of those who aren't. And maybe I'm phrasing, we should teach boys to be, or teach boys about their masculinity. But I, 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 I jive with that. I think I'm going to formulate a question, but just my own point of view is that um, masculinity and femininity are core human characteristics and traits and they're not they're they're kind of clustered or distributed according to sex and that's why we think of them in terms of masculinity and femininity and we think of them yeah. in terms of sex but i think that they're also manifestations of human traits that can be cultivated and used to create great societies you know uh, like oh and over time different societies have different takes on that different mixtures of that and it produces kind of a different kind of feel and and it um if if men are taught about masculinity from the point of view of what women want right what women are attracted to they're attracted <laughs> to masculinity and and if women yeah. are, are are taught about femininity and why men are attracted to femininity um then they can you know both sexes can regulate themselves and and can regulate themselves in how they're approached and how they approach and then how they they become attractive to the other sex or why they're attractive and then how to manage that attraction so I think that gender as a social uh, contract or as, as a social, uh, just the dynamics of the, our dimorphic species on a cultural level is not something that we should just throw out. I think we're throwing out way too much when we just like consign it to this thing called oppressive stereotypes. Um, but in the case of you I specifically agree. or, or autogynophilia, uh, autogynophilic males, you mentioned that the desire to become a woman begins to, uh, it can instigate like a increasing de de despair at being a man or de just disgust with masculinity. I'm wondering for your own life, if you've in, in the process of accepting your sexuality, accepting like your desire to manifest f the female, if you've also done the work to accept the masculine side and, and see that masculine as beautiful in and of itself, because it's obvious that you're, you're very masculine, like, like the, the your pursuits, <laughs> your, yeah, your exactitude. Yeah. Like I, I see a lot yeah. of that. And it seems like part of the spiritual take on this would be to achieve balance between the masculine and the feminine. And if you are auto heterosexual, if, if you are fated or wired to be, uh, you know, to contain your sexuality, that, that, that marriage to yourself should be, a pursuit of harmony in and of yourself. And so harmony between the masculine and feminine. So I'm wondering what's your take on masculinity, um, going through this acceptance of your desire to, 
be feminine or to emulate femininity? Um, I try to recognize the parts of masculinity that are helpful and good and which serve me. Um, basically, because the orientation will sort of make me want tend to raise the value of femininity, I mm. sort of have to... Idolize it. Yeah. It, it to As a countervailing force, it helps to consciously remind yourself of the parts like the benefits of being masculine and that it, it's not necessarily just a bad thing that both masculinity and feminine are important in their respect for respect their respective reasons and you know their ends and that there's value to both and yeah like you said i think it'd be good for people to have an inner have their internal marriage be a balanced cohesive one um where their inner man and inner woman are in, in a healthy relationship is there like couples therapy for the auto heterosexual there you, is Not that your yet, second book but that would is be that, cool is that your second book <laughs> <laughs> i whew, i don't know we'll, we'll see if i write another one um, yeah i might need to make a shorter version of this one just because it's great. It's very concise. I know it's kind of long, but it's very concise. I mean, and by concise, I mean, like, you get to the point. You're, there's not a lot of fluff. Like, you, this and then this and then this. It's very well organized. Very well done. Kudos. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah it's like a... There's a lot of information in there, but I, I try to just... Show, it, on, show it on. Show me again so I can see how... Because I only have the PDF. Ooh. Show me the thickness. Oh, okay. Thickness. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This we is a blue, a blue Yeti for scale. <laughs> you know it's so, kind of yeah. like a banana a fat banana okay right yeah this is the podcasting version of the banana on reddit <laughs> yeah um yeah it's an inch and a half thick um it's about 700 pages yeah um that might sound imposing but dear listener i assure you i made the font size big so that um it's very it's more comfortable yeah. It's very comfortable to look at, so you're not straining. Um, with the big font size, you'll also be turning pages more often, which will help keep you engaged and feel like you're making progress, which is important psychologically because okay. we're competing with social media feeds. Yes. So, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and there's, it's very direct, but also com very comprehensive. Um, I explain not only this sort of inverted heterosexuality, but also the broader class of autosexual orientations that lead to other forms of trans identity. Hmm. And yeah. And I, and I do that because there's so much denial about AGP that I just wanted to show that this happens with other types of sexual hmm. attractions. Mm -hmm. And so if you accept the existence of even one of these other types, such as then, what? like the winker, like, uh, like trans species, for instance, Oh, wait, you, know, you have to accept trans species to, it's no, easier no, to, to, in order to get to, to AGP? <laughs> well, I'm just saying, if you accept that there are people that have this inner experience of feeling like they're an animal. Um, wait, is there anything a little closer to home? Because um, that's the, further from home than AGP. Right. Okay, how about, how about uh, well, yeah, transracialism is probably the most normy one. Oh, really? Ones. Okay, I think actually yeah. AGP is the closest to home, so because even transracial, right. that's a little far out there, too. Well, I mean, I mean, are there forms of, are there, okay, and but... sorry to go here, and sorry, dear listener, to go here, but is there like a sexuality that's simply 
interested in itself as itself, like an auto homosexuality. Oh, just right, just strictly autosexual, where like you're just attracted Pure. to yourself, or and... like I don't really need uh, I don't need a sexual partner because I'm totally fine doing it for myself. Yeah, yeah, there is, and yeah, there's there's an autosexual um, subreddit too. If anyone has that, that that's listening, you can go there, and they talk about autosexuality and auto. What, what is that like? auto romanticism so you just love yourself as yourself like so it's really singular it, but it, yeah, it's, like yeah people it's have sexual, it like go on so dates with themselves and stuff yeah okay, it's, it's sexual yeah. and romantic where they're like <laughs> i've seen there's like one youtuber yeah there's like one youtuber who has this who he has a video where he shows how he has two different facebook accounts and he uses like them to talk other? to each other yeah <laughs> yeah okay, <sir. laughs> trying to be i'm gonna put my Pride flat uh, hat on, so yeah. I don't start calling him a wanker. But it's it's interesting. It's really interesting. Yeah. Well, and yeah. it's also like as much as it might seem weird, it's also it's hard to see the harm in it. Um, yeah. Aside well, from like worrying about the broader societal thing of like how are we going to have a fertility rate that's high enough to maintain civilization? That that's the know? problem with uh, that. That's one problem that I have with sexology is not that it's the study of sexuality or the dispassionate study of sexuality. It's that it does not translate in it into any sort of ought. And sexuality is uh, sexuality and violence are the two most important things for us as a society to have an ought around. If you don't have an ought or a mores and norms around sexuality, you don't have society or into or every society is defined by their sexual morale mores. And then to a greater extent, um, their mores around violence right right i i, I see those sexology concerns. try to try to do it in a vacuum but it always spills out like that's the problem with the p in in, right. in the, the letter p or the map it's like okay we can we can conceive of it as a sexuality but we cannot promote it as an we can't promote it at all you can't no you can't the, even the you can't accept promoting it. no i i think that one will like even though I know it is some people's sexual orientation, that's one that just can't be acted upon and can't be normalized because the repercussions are too negative. Um, but yeah, it's it's funny how you asked me about these other types of trans identity, and I I I, I think transracialism is probably the the most vanilla one of them. And then <laughs> why? Um, just because I mean, because like the there's transableism. Okay. There's yeah. like there's transableism. There's transageism. There's transspeciesism, um, you know, and like the more normy ones, I think, are transgender, which is from basically th this type of it's a variant of heterosexuality. So it's like that's as normy as it gets. Like okay. in terms of autosexual orientations, auto heterosexuality is the most normy one because it's heterosexuality. I think I tried to ask this question earlier and I know it's a wrong question, but I keep on wanting to ask it. I know it's the wrong question, but like, why, why would nature, I guess nature's just like throwing right, out like, how does this comes. still exist? Right. Like, yeah. even though it's clearly not obviously, it's not obviously good. Is it advantageous? Yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't, it seems to be, um, negative when it's too when it's very strong in people hmm. but i could see but most people have it to a very mild extent where like um i'm not saying that most people as in a plurality of people have it but like when, when someone has this as part of their sexuality it's usually just a minor part that's like an occasional fantasy and i could totally see if that having it just a little bit helps you um hmm. empathize to connect better with a 
heterosexual partner without yeah. it detracting from the connection. And yeah. so yeah, yeah, I think yeah. It, it's sort of a Pareto distribution where most people have it mildly. And yeah, like, so oh, I, kind of like a horseshoe. Like when, when a guy becomes, he, when a guy like starts to idolize masculinity too much, it starts to become gay. You know, it's, it started out as kind of like, I'm, I'm a male, you know, like, like as yeah, opposed so to female. Yeah, it's kind of gay. Yeah. And then yeah. maybe, maybe this is so straight. Like this is the other way. Like I love women this, so yeah, much no, that is, I've become to. Exactly. This is another way of being so straight that it's kind of gay. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Um, and <laughs> yeah, so it's. I do think, yeah, it's, it is definitely a question of why evolutionarily does this stick around? And I mean, my best hypothesis right now is just that most people have it very mildly and that the small amount probably doesn't detract. It, right. It probably facilitates connection slightly. I w it's probably not like an alpha strategy. It's probably one of the beta strategies, you know, but most people are, you know, not the alpha so uh, what, what's an alpha strategy is this like oh just in terms of thing? like in terms of like say like with um right yeah with with animals where there'd be like an alpha male and then there'd be other males beneath them yeah um and the alpha male gets the cream of the crop but the beta males still strategize to get some right exactly yeah. and so i could see how this could help um people find mates and form like a, a genuine bond, more genuine mutual understanding. Hmm. Um, I could see it, it helping in that respect, hmm. but it is definitely an open question of like, why does this even exist if it's harmful but, or like not harmful, but like it, it's not obvious how, it, yeah. how it's like evolutionarily viable. Yeah. 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 Um, well, I mean, yeah, it's so much of, of our, uh, once we've discovered technology, like we've kind of outpaced evolution, um, evolution's pressures. And so, you know, right. Genetic evolution. Right. Cause I think yeah. now it's mimetic evolution that's in charge. You think? <laughs> right. Yeah. You think, well, I mean, yeah. that's why you write the book. So in, in respect yeah. to that, and I think we got a good picture of it. You're trying to introduce more information into this discussion so that people can, uh, uh, that society can deal with AGPs, that, that relate AGPs can, can deal with their own, their selves, their relationships. And then also the political, uh, the political landscape can maybe get a little less heated and maybe a little less forceful and right. education yeah. can change and broaden out. And we can be, we can proceed a little bit towards that liberal ideal of kind of mutual acceptance, mutual, mutual respect rather than ceding respect to the, the highest victim. And then, you know, this, but this shakes this, this kind of your idea shakes the political standing of a very powerful, very small oh, this, uh, political group. This is going to destabilize the, the current state of the discussion for sure. It's like, it, it, it just flips over the table on gender ideology. It just, it, it renders gender ideology obsolete and unnecessary. Hmm. And so this is, this will be attacked incredibly strongly. So even by... people, even people who uh, are, are wary of your ideas, wary of your take on things, this is, could be a tool for them who are, who are, uh, who have a common enemy with you. This gender ideology could use this, could have access to this, even if they disagree, it's still useful for a tool, but it also could help expand their understanding of what they're criticizing or what they're seeing in the world. Yeah. It, I think it'll improve understanding all around and basically part, yeah. Part of why the book is long is because I wanted to put a cohesive meme plex out there that could reproduce on its own. Yeah. 
and because i want it to outcompete gender ideology okay um because i so think you're going to need to yeah. get a department of uh auto heterosexual studies if you really right want to yeah it's and part of that is just uh first of all letting a bunch of people know that it exists yeah and then yeah um well, i would like to Im increase the amount of research that's being done into it mm -hmm. and i'm trying to do that indirectly by making a bunch more people know about it which will then trigger conversation and Questions. interest in it yeah yeah um yeah. yeah i still haven't learned how to do the the nuts and bolts of running scientific studies myself well, yeah. um i'm just like an enthusiastic fan of them yeah and just try to what if you had um, an agp yeah. influencer what if you can convince dylan mulvaney to say you know what this that the other thing i know i'm getting points but actually this is what's going on with me i mean what's your take on that guy i'm i mean i'm still unsure of dylan's ideology ideology well, do you well, think no, this he's an actor like like okay so you're saying well, like oh, are they, are if they we, actor is he or she if we accept them yeah. as they are pre presenting which is a big leap in and of itself then you examine it and you're still unclear like what his sexuality is yeah i i actually ran a twitter poll like asking my followers what is dylan mulvaney's ideology and um i think a plurality of them chose homosexual transsexual um but you know it's some people some things that dylan's done seem agp you know seem, and so it's it's really it's still not clear yet um <laughs> I mean, they could also be like the an actor ideology, so to speak, and that they're like this is that they do have one of these orientations, but that really they're doing it for to, narcissistic, yeah, self promotion for like for like attention. Yeah, I mean, because yeah, Dylan clearly likes attention. Um, yeah, but I will say with, with Dylan, I I do like um, their their relentless positivity. You know, they get a lot of hate and. They they can seem absurd at times, but like it's a great at strat. least they're being positive. Yeah, you know, it's a great strat. It's a, it totally covers your ass. Like, well, I just I just hope everybody loves everybody. I just hope everybody loves right. everybody. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, another very strong criticism from our previous video: um, blue eyeshadow, crime against humanity. What's your take on that? Blue is the best color. Okay, even eyeshadow, crime against humanity. No, I don't know. I, I wear it because I, I mean I like blue so yeah, putting blue on me seems good. Yeah, okay. I mean yeah, I also have blue eyes too. So yeah, yeah. That, I I didn't notice that comment. But it was I'll be pretty sure recent. Be, yeah, I will be committing more crimes against humanity in that respect. <laughs> okay, that's cool. Yeah. What what else yeah. you what what else did you um from from that last video of the comments something that was not just the crit not just like your reaction to the criticism or anything but was there anything that that came up that was particularly interesting like some criticism or insight that that you recall from that that you can answer here somebody's um, watching this back to back there's nothing I can recall that really stood out as yeah. like that really made me think or anything because I've I've been enmeshed in this discourse for a while now yeah. and so I've kind of already thought all the thoughts yeah. so to speak you've seen it all. and yeah you've, you've um bent around the gender block yeah it's i've been around that gender block a few times and it's i'm pretty comfortable with like i know i'm used to the discourse by now yeah. um i'm used like i in this video there's going to be plenty of comments calling me a narcissistic fetishist 
I'm like, I guess if they want to say that, that's okay. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I beyond the name yeah. calling, I'm just wondering, like, if you recall any any ideas or if you pushed, uh, um, if you've expanded. No, because a lot of it's the, the a lot of it's the typical like gender critical like turfy stuff, and yeah. I've already thought through the flaws with that ideology, yeah. and it's just the abolition the abolition of gender is just not going to happen. It's just not. It's never going to happen. Um, gender's so, too sexy, man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, to, it is. I'm sorry. It's just gender's hot. Yeah, it's it's unavoidable. Like that because there's two sexes and they tend to think and behave differently and they have different sexual reproduction roles and they're, they're attracted to each other. Right, and they're attracted to each other. Therefore, there are these cultural ideas that sort of Signals. rise up that 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 sort of fit the temperament of each sex and yeah these these like gender is a social construct so to speak but it's also completely it cannot be eliminated and it's just part of being human mm-hmm. any plans for this summer are you going to do an audiobook of this you uh, have a nice voice you should think about it i know yeah. it's a total p-i-t-a but i, I recommend it yeah i mean we'll see yeah i didn't have the i didn't have enough money to get to pay for an audiobook to get made of this, unfortunately. Yeah. So I'll have to, I have had people say that I should just read the book, basically make my own audiobook. Maybe I will. That's a lot yeah. of reading. It's yeah. Um, well, you, you did it to yourself. So v- yeah, but <laughs> there was a lot I had to say. Yeah. Um, and this was your first lot... salvo too. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, yeah, it's the first album. We'll yeah. Maybe there'll be other albums. Um, yeah, but like, I just wanted to make this one cause. Okay. How do you feel like, that people, it's made now? Um, it's nice to have the real physical copies. Yeah. Um, and I'm pretty pleased with how it looks, um, both on the inside and outside. Like, I think the publisher did a good job with the font choices and layout mm-hmm. and the cover. And, and how yeah, pe- can people get it anywhere? Um, yeah. Um, it, it's going to go on sale on june 13th you can get it it's going to be distributed through all the conventional places online it's not going to be in physical bookstores because there's economic reasons why that doesn't make sense yeah and um yeah you can find on amazon other places on june 13th and if you want to celebrate pride by getting a book about the most common kind of trans i think that'd be a great idea Hmm. and yeah if yeah for anyone that's listening if you have if you've experienced gender dysphoria or gen- you have gender issues or gender confusion, anything like that, and you have experienced heterosexual attraction in the past, this is the most likely explanation as to why you have gender issues or gender dysphoria. And so looking into auto heterosexuality should be your first stop in figuring out um, what's going on with you, you know? And then if you find that that doesn't really answer much, then there must be some other explanation, but this is this is the most common cause of transgenderism, and so this is the first place to look for figuring out why you feel the way you do about your gender. Hmm. Phil, thank you very much. Is there any, any anybody else or any other place or resources that you'd like to plug for people who are looking into this, uh, whether for themselves or a loved one? Um, yeah, I guess. Um, so you can you can find me on Twitter at at autogynophilic. Um, I've tweeted the first 15 or 16 chapters of the book already. Um, mm-hmm. So 
it's anyone can read it for free. Um, obviously, Twitter's not the best format, which is yeah. by design so that you actually buy it. Free sample, but annoying to read. Yeah. Um, and you can also find my writing and some more chapters on my Substack at phililly.substack.com. And also, yeah, I also do need some. Um, yeah, I won't be getting royalties for a few more months, and I need some funding. So if anyone wants to donate to my PayPal, that'd be sick. Um, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's all the things. Just Twitter, Substack, um, and you can find this book about the most common kind of trans on uh, Amazon and other online retailers. Yeah, and pre-orders are up. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The, right. At least the Kindle is, as far as I can tell. Yeah, yeah. You can start pre-ordering. Um, yeah. Links will be in the description. Phil, thank you very much for your afternoon. It was great to catch up with you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on, Benjamin.